0: CISA outlines the Five Hands ransomware campaign. Circumstantial evidence suggests that some cyber gangs are either controlled by or are doing contract work for Russian intelligence services. U.S. federal agencies turn their attention to software supply chain security. Scripps Health continues its recovery from cyber attack insecure home routers in the uk daniel prince from lancaster university has thoughts on cybersecurity education our guest rupesh chokshi from at&t has suggestions for organizations who want to get sassy but don't know where to begin and ryok ransomware throws a wrench in research at a european biomedical institute From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Friday, May 7th, 2021. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency yesterday published an analysis report on the Five Hands ransomware campaign. The report says... Threat actors used publicly available penetration testing and exploitation tools, five-hands ransomware, and Sombrat remote-access Trojan to steal information, obfuscate files, and demand a ransom from the victim organization. Additionally, the threat actors used publicly available tools for network discovery and credential access. It's long been believed that Russian cybercriminals tend to operate at the Russian government's sufferance, but security firm Trusec reports that it's found evidence that the gangs may also be working for the state. Specifically, there are signs that Evil Corp. is operating under the security organ's direction. TrueSec had been investigating a wasted locker ransomware infection and assisting in its remediation when the victim received a government warning that it had received the attentions of the state-run APT Silverfish, regarded as a Russian operation and described earlier this year by researchers at the cyber intelligence firm ProDaft. Trusek said that it, quote, could quickly confirm that the cyber event referred to in the warning was the initial compromise that Trusek had found to be the start of the wasted locker ransomware attack. They add that we could also determine that the cobalt strike beacon used in the attack was in fact the same cobalt strike beacon found in the ProDaft report since it was using the same domains and domain fronting technique described in the report. The domain used to download the PowerShell script GetSystemTime also appeared in the report from ProDaft. Quote. This led Trusek to the hypothesis that the gang behind the wasted locker attack was identical to the Silverfish actor. They saw other bits of circumstantial evidence, including comparable levels of sophistication and the ability of both groups to conduct continuous 24-hour operations. They also observed a curious indifference on the part of Wasted Locker's operators to motivating their victims to pay. They didn't, for example, make the now-routine threat to dox the victims if they failed to pay the ransom demanded. So, the case is circumstantial but suggestive, Evil Corp may simply be a front group, or it could be working as a contractor. There's a possibility that it may be an independent criminal gang, and that the apparent connections with Russian intelligence services are coincidental, but this possibility seems increasingly unlikely. According to Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty, similar evidence is emerging in the New York trial of an alleged meth-bot ringleader, Alexander Zhukov. According to U.S. court records, the news outlet explains, the Methbot scam first took form in September 2014 when Zukov and five other men from Russia and Kazakhstan allegedly rented more than 1,900 computer servers at commercial data centers in Texas and elsewhere and used them to simulate humans viewing ads on fabricated web pages. In this case, it appears that MethBot used the infrastructure that's been under scrutiny in the investigation of GRU and SVR cyber operations, including the dissemination of the Steele dossier during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The U.S. Department of Justice is expanding its investigation post Solar Winds into supply chain security. Justice is taking a closer look at the role Russian companies or U.S. companies that do business in Russia May have played in the compromise of the solar wind software. Cyberscoop, quotes Assistant Attorney General for National Security John Demers is saying yesterday, quote, if there's back-end software design and coding being done in a country where we know that they've used sophisticated cyber means to do intrusions into U.S. companies, then maybe US companies shouldn't be doing work with those companies from Russia or other untrusted countries. End quote. CyberScoop's sister publication FedScoop reports that CISA now believes it has a better understanding of the risks and dependencies in the federal government's software supply chain. At least nine federal agencies were affected by the SolarWinds compromise. CISA hopes that increased transparency in both software development and system architecture will serve to build a more secure supply chain. Scripps Health in Southern California is still recovering from the unspecified cyber attack it sustained last weekend, KPBS reports. The medical system is using workarounds as it continues to deliver care and says that patient safety is uncompromised, but scheduling and other IT-dependent functions continue to see disruption. Patients are reported to be seeking care at other regional health care providers. British consumer advocacy organization that goes by the name Which says that thousands of UK households are using outdated and vulnerable home routers. Thirteen widely used models display such common vulnerabilities as default passwords and outdated firmware. Some of the routers haven't received updates or security patches since 2016. We Live Security reports that two companies' products, at least, deserve honorable mention. Devices produced by BT and Plusnet were found to contain none of the easily exploited vulnerabilities that WITCH and its technical partners at Red Maple Security found. And finally, ZDNet reports, citing security firm Sophos, that a European biomolecular research institute lost a week's worth of data to a Ryuk ransomware infestation. The ransomware found its way in courtesy of a student who was looking for a free version of visualization software and settled for a cracked version and, worse yet, disabled Windows Defender so as not to be bothered by its alerts. The cracked software executed a Trojan on the student's device, which stole RDP credentials. The attackers then used their access to install RIAC. In this case, it wasn't the unnamed institute that was responsible, but rather a user who abused convenient but permissive access policies. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The SASE framework is a hot topic in cybersecurity these days. SASE standing for Secure Access Service Edge. To help cut through the hype, we checked in with Rupesh Chachi, vice president of AT&T Cybersecurity for his take on SASE's potential.
1: So right now, you know, SASE is one of the hottest terms in the market with customers in the business world as security becomes sort of, you know, front and center for everybody. And uh, I think of it as, you know, we have evolved into a hyper-distributed, you know, workforce environment for the enterprise with the hyper-connected you know, from a capability perspective. So the combination of these things are creating this very unique opportunity for a security-centric framework, which SASE is all about, and bring capabilities that can drill down at a very granular level to protect the data, protect the applications, protect the information flows, and protect the network for that customer, for that enterprise, for that session, for that particular identity and user.
0: And what are the specific things that that attract people to adopting a a SASE framework, for example?
1: I think the main drivers are sort of you know this ability to have you know kind of security done at a very granular level, the ability to have a zero trust uh, you know network or capability, the ability to bring you know, the entire enterprise, whether it's a, you know, branch location or a user working from anywhere or a business IoT endpoint, uh, all of this data and the different connectivity types, whether it is the wireless network or the wireline network, you know, bring all of that into the, the framework and be able to then, you know, provide the security policies and controls and the granularity that is needed.
0: You know, with SASE being as hot as it is, of course, that means that um, folks who are considering it are getting all sorts of marketing messages about it and and so on. I'm curious, what are your recommendations for folks of of how to get started, how to cut through that noise and and get a real solid understanding of uh, what it might mean to them?
1: Right. That's a great question, uh, Dave, because, you know, as a trusted advisor, you know, I would like to recommend a few things that says, look, you know, sit down with the experts, you know, we have the security consulting offers that we provide along those lines of, you know, sassy readiness, you know, literally with that mindset to say, okay, let's better understand what is the environment, right? Are you going to have a distributed workforce for a period of time? Are you going to bring it all, you know, back into the, into the fold or not? Uh, Are you adding significant amount of sort of, you know, new devices and new users and new endpoints? And do you have a way to kind of, you know, secure those? And what are you going to do about it? So I would say that spend the time on the architectural, the framework aspect of it, better understand what the business drivers are, and think of the sort of, you know, outcome. Because security is not just, you know, about the technology. This is about the business, right? It's a business problem in terms of, am I secure? Am I compliant? Do I have the risk profile figured out? Have I done all of the testing that I need to do? So it's basically lay out the blueprint, partner up with somebody you can kind of work and trust, and then get into phased execution
0: when you look at organizations that have successfully adopted a, a SASE approach, are there, are there any things that they have in common? Are there any things you see that, that, um, set up particular organizations for success?
1: I think there are sort of, you know, two, uh, dimensions that I'm seeing, you know, more and more. So one is sort of, you know, setting it up in a way that all of the, physical locations or the branch locations uh, are all sort of, you know, secured within that framework and you're applying certain rules and policies. Uh, So I'm seeing that, you know, more and more. You know, one example is that we worked, you know, last year into this year with a healthcare customer as an example, right? And that healthcare customer is uh, talking about, uh, you know, how do I do the clinics and the hospitals and get them ready? But simultaneously, I have a workforce that I need to, you know, be more remote and bring that into the mix. So I'm seeing the branch transformation with SASE and I'm seeing the remote work transformation with SASE here and now.
0: That's Rupesh Chachi from at and Cybersecurity. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? And joining me once again is Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Daniel, it's always great to have you back. Um, I want to touch base with you today about cybersecurity education, certainly something that is near and dear to you and uh, part of your every day. But just sort of check in, you know, where do things stand today?
2: Well, I like say uh, as a senior lecturer at a university, uh, cybersecurity education is is a passion of mine. Um, and... Uh, it's a, it's a re- the reason why I wanted to talk about it. Really, is it's a massively changing uh, industry at the moment. Um, from my point of view, cybersecurity has gone through a, a, an incredible change in terms of the professionalism that sits around it, and, and we're seeing, you know, in the UK, the the rollout of the UK Cybersecurity Council, who's really meant to there be there to, to establish cybersecurity as as a professional body. And so that changes the ne- the nature of education. And then I'm looking at it from the point of view of um, the university. And, and this year we're celebrating the 10th year of our multidisciplinary cyber security program. And looking back from where we started to where we are now and how the industry's changed is, is, is quite a remarkable journey. And thinking back 10 years where there was a lot of push around industry certifications and 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 all, you know, the types of tests that we were doing then to assess the quality of cybersecurity profession, professionals to where we are now with lots of informed, practical-based assessments. And then the role of academia within that as well has is, is, is changed. And within the UK, and the National Cybersecurity Centre has recently rolled out uh, the Academic Centres of Excellence in Cybersecurity Education. And I know in the US, they've got a similar scheme to recognise centres um, uh, uh, academic centres which are really trying to be at the forefront of uh, cybersecurity security education and Lancaster's w- has, has submitted and, and is fortunate to be awarded one of those statuses and it's again it's, it's moved away from not just being about educating professionals but what are we doing in the com- academic community to teach you know, historians or English language specialists or you know how are we reaching out across and In improving cybersecurity awareness for a variety of different disciplines and and roles. And I think that's reflecting really the criticality of digital uh, technology in in every single role. And then the importance that cybersecurity has with those roles, um, not just uh, this isolated profession of protecting a few computers.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to me. I mean, I think back to my own uh, university days, and I mean, is is this a situation where you're 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 having you could have classes that are you know cybersecurity for non majors, you know that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, that's certainly something that we are, are looking to to move out of. Yeah, you know, really, the, the kind of extracurricular activities, and, and certainly something to put into almost like professional studies for for these other disciplines. You know, there's always been a tie with like uh, management sciences, so we do a little bit in there, but. You know, when you get into some of the humanities, certainly, you know, it would be the last thing that you think about, and in, in some ways, it's almost like data science type of skills. And we're seeing a big push to uh, to embed data science in in a lot of the a lot of other kind of um, disciplines and, and roles because it's such an essential skill, and, and cybersecurity is such an essential skill, and it shouldn't just be left to uh, a, a, a select f- a select few i mean i likened it to you know 300 it's, it's not about you know 300 spartans sealing the <laughs> breach everybody's got a a role to play in protecting the whole system and uh you know and our society and i think because the technology is now so expansive we we can't take that for granted and we all have a role in protecting it
0: What's the response of the university been? Are, are they supportive here? Do they recognize that this is something that needs broader attention?
2: Well, yeah. So as part of the uh, our application process to become a center of excellence, uh, we we required uh, high-level support from our vice chancellor down. So they're very supportive. And we're looking at how we actually start to integrate some of this uh, education into, into some of our other degree programs, not to try and displace the you know the essential curriculum they're teaching but to un- help them to understand the, the role within the roles that they are going to take on because for me it's about having them uh, the, the students and and then the future employees empowered to be able to ask that question and challenge are we doing the right thing with the systems the data that we have and if, if we can start to get people to ask those types of questions in the uh, it, it, as an employee that will then start to Hopefully, lead to answers in in terms of increased protection for us all.
0: Is there an intimidation factor that you need to get past? You know, your your student uh, who's uh, you know doing their course of studies in the humanities might they find themselves put off a bit by you know this computer science topic?
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean we, we've have we we've have conversations like uh, like this in, internally within the university, but it's it's a fundamental truth that it, our students can't do their studies now without their computers right they are mm-hmm. you know just look at the global pandemic and the role that that technology has played in 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 ensuring that educationists and and students have stayed connected that we've still been able to teach um and that those those students have also been able to main, maintain contact with their their families it's so interwoven in the way that we work and the way that we live that it's it. It just becomes vital that they have some basic skills for, that's suitable for their discipline. In the same way that we teach, you know, basic road safety. Um, you know, it's got to be there because it's such an a, an essential part. And specifically, we don't want them to be able to go and configure firewalls and um, you know make sure mm. that they you know, right patches themselves. That's not what, what what I'm advocating. I think the the important thing is to spark that curiosity so that they can go away and find the answers or at least not be intimidated and i think that goes back to your point at least not be intimidated Mm. to to try and tackle some of these problems
0: all right well daniel prince thanks for joining us That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, be sure to check out Research Saturday. In my conversation with Mike McClellan from SecureWorks, we're going to be discussing Supernova web shell deployment that's linked to the Spiral Threat Group. That's Research Saturday. Check it out.